0: A reading from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they didn't believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. Early on Sunday morning, several of Jesus' followers, all women, Mary, Magdalene, Joanna, James's mom, Mary, and a few others, they got up and they took burial spices to the tomb to adorn Jesus' body. Rome, with plenty of prodding from the senior pastors of Israel, had executed Jesus on Friday by crucifixion, death by suffocation, while hanging naked and fastened by nails, to a wooden cross a humiliating way to die these women had seen every moment of his crucifixion they were surely traumatized and deeply grieved jesus had been their friend and their mentor he'd shown them the way of love they thought he was israel's messiah the one who would redeem israel but now he was dead a victim of horrific torture and violence The cross was Rome's way of saying, this is what we do to people who think they will redeem a nation we have subjugated. All the male apostles were in hiding. But these women, they were ready to face however many Roman guards they might come in contact with at the tomb. They were prepared to face the risk that if they were caught, the same thing that happened to Jesus... Might happen to them too. When they got to the tomb, it's pitch black, early morning. They didn't find anyone there no guards, no body, no nothing. They are confused, they are afraid. And then from behind them, they see glimmers of light, and they turn around and see two men in lightning-bright clothes. And immediately, they freeze and they hit the ground in terror. The men say, why are you looking in a tomb for someone who's alive? Jesus isn't here because he's risen. Remember how he told you that the Son of Man would be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and then rise again on the third day? And they did remember. They remembered that Jesus had said that, though it was a bit surreal to consider that this is what Jesus had meant by that, that that he would actually come back to life. What do the women do next? They've just been told by two luminous dudes that Jesus is alive. They haven't seen Jesus themselves to confirm that it's true. They haven't been able to rule out other possibilities. Perhaps that someone stole his body. It seems to me that this situation that these women find themselves in, Mary, Joanna, Mary, and their squad, is very similar to our relationship to this story today all we have today like they did then is an empty tomb no body and the testimony of others that jesus is alive it's a bit precarious isn't it it requires some faith and some hope to believe doesn't it what do the women do next They go and share the news with the apostles in hiding. They tell them about the stone being rolled away, about the empty chamber, about the terrifying shiny messengers, and that Jesus is alive. How did the apostles respond? They did not believe them. They did not believe them. Women in the first century, Judea, were not considered credible witnesses. After all, hashtag patriarchy. But the apostles' reaction is so strong and so negative, Luke uses profanity to describe it. One translation says, the apostles thought it was an idle tale. Another translation says, the apostles thought it was a crazy story. Another translation says, the apostles thought it was utter nonsense. That's right, Margot. But none of these translations seem to capture it fully. This is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. It's a word that was offensive and vulgar, and Luke uses it on purpose for shock value. BS. The apostles thought the woman's story was a big load of BS how's that for an Easter message title (laughs) Easter a big load of BS we're in a church right yeah Ryan BS stands for big stink anybody else who's wondering right (laughs) moment of confession (laughs) that's Val's moment of confession Uh, When I consider what Putin and his empire are doing to the Ukrainian people, the brutality, the horror of war, sometimes it's hard for me to believe that anything but coercive violence and death will win out in the end. Sometimes Jesus' nonviolent way of love seems like BS. Forgive me. When I consider how Putin and his empire will eventually be stopped, likely by the same coercive violence and death that was wielded against the Ukrainian people. Sometimes it's hard for me to believe that anything but coercive violence and death will win out in the end. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus' nonviolent way of love is BS. When I consider the long history of racism and white supremacy in our country, And I see the way that narrative of supremacy shapeshifts and finds new forms when old forms are abolished to the detriment and death of indigenous people and people of color. Sometimes it's hard for me to believe that anything but coercive violence and death will win out in the end. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus' nonviolent way of love is BS. Stick with me. Hold with me here. When I consider the long history of patriarchy and misogyny, the way women like Mary, Joanna, and Mary, all the way up to this very day, and especially women of color, Mary, Joanna, and Mary were women of color themselves, by the way. The way they're disbelieved, mistreated, marginalized, left out, abused. Sometimes it's hard for me to believe that anything but coercive violence and death will win out in the end. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus' nonviolent way of love is B.S. When I consider how the church has often been right in the center of empire, white supremacy and patriarchy and has itself wielded the weapons of coercive violence and death against others. Just as the Russian Orthodox Church aligns with the Russian war machine and the American church aligns with the American profit machine and the American war machine. If the church of all institution defaults to empire and death as the answers, it makes me wonder, if Jesus' way is really true, is it just BS? That's a happy Easter sermon so far. Uh, I want to sit with this and just ask. I mean, I'm just getting started on things that make me wonder. that Things that... Uh, That, that make me wonder if this is all just nonsense or a crazy story given the reality that we face. I'm curious, what, what experiences have left you wondering if Jesus' nonviolent way, His way of love might be BS? Would you share? Hard question to come in on, I realize. Co-pastor to the rescue.
1: Little
2: person. Um, sorry, I can't tell. Okay. Uh, yeah, independent of the Ukraine situation... <laughs> Just by, like, my rabbit trail of reading, I went from space to rockets to rocket manufacturing to Werner von Braun, who was a German who was brought over, to what exactly was happening uh, during Germany, like in Germany during World War II, and then what was happening during World War I. And I've ended up reading a book about how um, between, like, 1905 and 1915, uh, in the Ukraine, Jewish people were systematically exterminated. Uh, their property was stolen by people who believed that they should not be part of, a, of, the, of the nation of Ukraine, that they were taking people's jobs, that they were, um, you know, becoming prosperous at the expense of the native Ukrainian people. Um, and then when uh, Hitler came in with, you know, the option to send them off to concentration camps, the Ukrainian government gladly handed the Jewish, their Jewish citizens over, Um, and I have felt very sad because I'm like, it just seems like it's just an endless circle. You know, like there's no, you grow up thinking that the the U.S., we were the good guys during World War II, and Hitler was the bad guy, and you think, oh, the Ukrainians are the good people, and the Russians are the bad people, and it turns out that all of us, Hmm. and I... I don't know what to think about that. Mm. It's it's heavy with me.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: I can't remember if it was me over over listening, overhearing, um, listening in on Wednesday night. that Last time Kara was, I don't know if it was church or if it was Wednesday night, when she said that in El Salvador, sexual abuse of children is just accepted. And then the norm, it's more the norm than not the norm. Just hearing her say that in passing, I was like, Man, man, like that's, that's not something that triggers any government alert or anything. And it just, I think between that and the Ukraine, I feel so burdened this week with like, what is the value of a human life to the Lord or to you people? You know, just that, you know, I think about how much I work to keep or that I would work to keep myself alive and my children Protected and like to hear, like in the news, just these mass numbers of people dying in Ukraine, or care saying that about all these children in El Salvador. Like, why is my why would I perceive my life to be more valuable than theirs? Or like that could never I would never allow that to happen to me or my loved ones, or you know, and just I don't know, there's just so many layers of brokenness to that.
5: Uh, i think uh, I think about how
1: uh,
5: Jen was treated at our previous church um, I just just ghosted and and I had always um worked really hard uh, both as a minister. As a person tried to separate who God is and who the church is, but that that experience of um, being ostracized and othered uh, was the first time that I really wondered mm. um, is is it all b s mm. Uh, if if this is supposed to be good news, Mm. uh, it'd be good to have some once once
0: or twice. Yeah. Yep.
3: That's
0: right. Roger in the back.
3: What was your original question?
0: What experiences have left you wondering if Jesus' nonviolent way of love might be BS?
3: Yeah. uh, Kind of going back to the Old Testament reading, you know, Old Testament, New Testament. The mm-hmm. Old Testament is, for me, was like a very clear: uh, the kingdom of God is not here on earth. And mm. the New Testament, and it's, it's that is the terrible and tragic, horrific passion story of the worst way to die, right? Mm. As engineered, right, by the Romans, just as you said. And uh, he, him doing that and showing us the way of. Say, like, look, this is, you thought it was Jerusalem. Like, it was weirdly worded in that Old Testament passage. It actually said Jerusalem. He's not talking about building Jerusalem right there. But uh, what I think I told Stephanie this morning, it's like, Easter for me is like, this is the start of the good news. It's just Mm. about to start getting good news. So, Mm. you know, yeah, this world sucks. (laughs) And there's all kinds of evil and terrible. But, you know, this is not the kingdom of God. Mm. And you know, want to want to get there and enjoy it with everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. Thanks, Roger. Yeah. yeah,
0: I um, I want to apologize, but I shouldn't for being such a downer in this way. But I think it's really important on on Easter. In our current situation, in our experience of reality, that we not use the resurrection to spiritual bypass. That that it's not helpful to pretend that, oh, Easter is here. All of the sudden, everything is okay. The, the, the first experience of the resurrection was with great confusion and terror, right? And I think, wow, that kind of feels a lot like how I feel right now like trying to hold on to something in the dark. That's that's the women at the tomb. That's the women with the apostles who thought this was just a big load of BS. That is the tension. That's the struggle for resurrection, right? I can see the look on Peter's face. I mean, it does seem like BS. But I mean... What if it's not? What, what if the women are right? What if, it, what if it's true? You know, I see him getting up and finding a back door to the safe house, sneaking out and running to the tomb. A few days ago, he had denied knowing Jesus. Maybe he shouldn't deny him now. So he gets to the tomb and he sees what the women saw. Only burial cloths, no body. And he's filled with wonder. Huh, what could be happening? The same day, two disciples were heading out to a town outside of Jerusalem called Emmaus. And they meet this stranger on their way. And they talk with him about all the things that have been going on with with Jesus and with their hopes and how they had been dashed. And they end up having dinner with him. And while they're eating, they recognize this is Jesus right in front of us. And right as they recognize him, Jesus disappears from their view. Well, there they can't go to Emmaus now. They have to turn back and go to Jerusalem. They run back to the hideout and tell all of the apostles, hey, look what we have just seen. It's not BS. It's actually true. This isn't a load. Jesus is alive. We just saw him. And why right is there telling? Jesus shows up in the middle of their gathering in their hideout. He's like, hey, folks. How's that for an entrance? They hug him. They they touch the scars in his hands and his feet. Uh, they, he even gets a piece of fish to, just to show them, hey, I'm not a ghost. I mean, you're not seeing a vision here. I'm not an apparition. I can still digest food. I'm going to prove it to you. I, I'm I'm alive. I'm really alive. It's not BS. It's true. Jesus is alive. The great irony... Of Jesus' appearance is that it shows what is actually BS. The women's story is not actually BS. Death is actually BS. The coercive violence and the death dealing of empire is BS. Patriarchy and misogyny are BS. Racism and white supremacy are BS. The church's complicity in empire and violence and abuse in the name of God is BS. The power of empire and coercive violence and death will win out in the end? That's BS. Hear the story of Mary, Joanna, Mary, and their friends. Jesus isn't dead. He's risen from the dead, just as he said. Jesus' nonviolent way of love is vindicated. Victory is snatched from the jaws of defeat. Life swallows up death. The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience prevail after all in the end. And if all of this is true for Jesus, then it will be true for us as well. And not just as a moment in the future, as pie in the sky, but as lightning rods of presence in, in our present. As, as the resurrection life and healing and forgiveness and grace breaking in to our current experience in this broken but beautiful world. Like, like peeking through the curtains. <laughs> To kind of show us, this this is what's coming. Was that weird, Julie? Sorry, I got
3: (laughs) a. Yeah,
0: yeah. I didn't mean to to summon the the shining on that one. I didn't mean to go horror on you. I was trying to leave that. Yeah. it's painful but it 's beautiful <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: oh, that 's what the trigger was. Gotcha
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know it doesn't it doesn't erase the tension that we feel in our current reality it doesn't re- erase uh, the way the powers and principalities and death and violence are on display in our world. Uh, but but it, it offers an invitation, you know what, that, that, that maybe those things don't have the last word. Maybe there's something else to cling to. Maybe there's another way of life to give ourselves to that is, in fact, the, uh, this beautiful, wonderful way of life. that that comes straight from God, that's revealed in Jesus, and that's vindicated by life after death, by healing and liberation in the midst of subjugation and oppression and abuse and violence. Can you believe it? Will you allow yourself to be amazed by it? Will you join in and participate in it? Don't believe the wrong BS. How's the Easter story impacting you this morning? Val, we got a mic out there?
6: This is really silly feeling. Um, this <laughs> mic, <laughs> not this story, sorry. I just don't
2: want take it home. Yeah.
6: Yeah, (laughs) Um, I think I, oftentimes when I think about the story of Jesus' resurrection and I think about, like, you know, the women coming and seeing that he's not in the tomb, I I think of all the characters in it as, like, very flat, right? I don't really think of them as human beings. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting to me to think about how traumatic it was for everything that they witnessed. Mm -hmm. Like, and then... How perplexing and scary then coming there and seeing nothing. And then also then the gaslighting that they experience yes. of like, we don't believe you. Yep. Um, and so it's like, I feel like two things are true, right? Like there is real trauma and horror in the world. And there is also real beauty and hope that gets mixed in there somehow. Um, I th- I thought a lot about um, the story. A story of my sister's friend from New York who, um, her, her kids were horrifically killed in an awful accident, um, Ruthie. Um, she was pushing her five-year-old daughter in the stroller in Brooklyn, crossing the street, and a car ran into them and killed her daughter. Um, she was also pregnant. She lost her other baby later. Um, awful. Mm-hmm. So much violence, so much death, so much horror. Um, and I I remember thinking about that, and I was like, I don't know how you just go on after mm-hmm. something like that. Like, how do you go on? Mm-hmm. And um, she has another baby girl, and they named her Hope. And it does not erase mm-hmm. the pain, the trauma. I mean, those are things that she's still dealing mm-hmm. with. Yep. And yet there's also this, uh, there's this other balm that comes with it. I also think it's really beautiful that Jesus showed his, his scars, like his wounds, right? Yep. It's not like he was raised and then it was like, it never happened. Right? Like there's, you can still see where the pain was, yep. but then there's also been healing. It's, yep. it's a really beautiful and difficult
1: tension to kind of carry.
0: Yep. Thank you, Val.
1: And on that, on what Val is saying, I think it's at the same time and cyclical. I don't, like you said, like I don't think there's this like stopgap of like the bad stuff is here. Mm -hmm. We can see it. It happened. It's over. Now we're moving on to the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Like that's not, it's how it was taught to us, but it doesn't make sense because that's not how life works. Mm -hmm. So once you experience any kind of grieving, loss, death, uh, which I have personally in the last year and a half, it I have found that it it it's not ever over. It's not ever like, oh, so glad my grieving process is done, mm-hmm. we can move on. They're in a better place, like moving on, and it it's never going to be like that. It's mm-hmm. never going to be like that. And so the what Val is saying of the mixture of it all, of it sitting in tension together, mm-hmm. that it it is. It's why we lament. It's why we still focus on the crucifixion. It's not like the church all of a sudden was like, well, we don't have to talk about that anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, that's uncomfortable. We're done Mm -hmm. with that. It's over. He's raised. I'm so glad that we still acknowledge it and focus on it because in our everyday life, it doesn't go away, you know? So that's where the hope comes in that sits with it. Yep. Which is uncomfortable and awkward, but it is life.
0: Yeah. Yep. Thank you, Lauren.
7: So I've been sitting here and thinking and reflecting like all of us. And, you know, Val, I liked or or what you said made me think about, you know, how Jesus did show them his scars, you know, when when he was resurrected. And I was just reflecting on how the story of the resurrection isn't about how Jesus pressed the rewind button on trauma to make it disappear. Mm -hmm. It's a story of how our God overcame that trauma, how he grew around it to perfect love around it. And I, I'd never really thought about that before. Mm. And, um, you know, something that I've been reverberating on and and struggling to think of like how to share, but it's just something I've been working on through a lot. So I challenged myself about three years ago to try and read a biography of Martin Luther King, uh, to understand him a little bit better. And, um, I looked up the one I wanted to read and found that it was longer than *War and Peace*. <laughs> and uh, I just started it three months ago. Uh, so part of this is the story of how Miles procrastinated on that. Um, as an Enneagram three, this is a big step for me to admit. <laughs> hey, you're you're safe. There's no judgment in this. That's right. That's case. right. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm here, and I'm doing it, and I'm probably two-thirds of the way in. And, um, you know, I've learned so much of his story that especially, I think, in in the way that, that the circles that I grew up in, we don't tell his story. Um, and, you know, this is a story of, you know, an extreme commitment of nonviolence. of I did not realize how... Um, contemporary and uh, what a continuation of his movement from Gandhi to Martin Luther King uh, was going on that they met and studied together in this concept of Gandhi and nonviolence Mm -hmm. to pursue social change. And so there's just so many things about that that are reverberating with me um, and the way, you know, that he was treated, but the people that were with him, you know, I mean, he was in prison overnight listening to another person just moan in agony after the police had beaten him so brutally that their bone had, I think, multiple, multiple fractures, and they left him in the jail cell for 18 hours, you know, before uh, another man finally came in and was hit in the head uh, with a cane and was bleeding down his face as he finally got assistance to uh, this person that was in jail and to watch, I mean, just event after event, you know, like that um, happen. And then to have a quote, you know, the one that was coming to mind to me this morning of um, when he said, you know, the, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Mm-hmm. And to sit with that and to think about what it's like to be, you know, one key in the cog of this cosmic scale, um, that is a higher level of enlightenment to me to to, to reach that point to understand, you know, this thing has been thousands of years in the making and here we are. And what does it mean to play our part mm. in 2022? Yep. Um, so I don't know. I've been reflecting on that with today's Easter story and, and how Jesus laid down the original example of that of growing around his trauma uh, yep. rather than trying to just erase it. Yep. Thank you, Miles. That's
0: good.
6: I also think what's hopeful is that no matter where you are on that cycle like Jesus is with you, right? So if you're like, I'm in the violence, I'm in the horror, I'm in the darkness and I see no hope. Like Jesus is like, I'm with you, Mm
3: -hmm.
6: right? If you're like, I'm seeing the hope. I'm, you know, I'm feeling so like excited about life and about things. And Jesus is also like, I'm with you. Mm -hmm. And like the good news is that like, it's okay to be in either in any part of that whole cycle. And it's okay mm. to vacillate between mm. those two poles, but Jesus is still there.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm. Good. Two, good.
5: two things that are good Friday service. Kara reflected on good Friday being like the Christian day that she looks forward to. It's the one uh, given all the death and violence that she deals with on a daily basis. And mm. uh, she said, it's the day that, uh, um, I, I feel like I fit in the Christian story. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's because um, God is an empathetic witness. God is one who says, I know death and violence. Um, and building off of what I reflected on earlier, uh, thinking about storyline. Uh, man, I'm just a hot mess today. Thinking about storyline. Uh, should have looked at you. Jen. Uh, <laughs> believing Jen's story. Hmm. Um, hmm. Like, believing it and feeling like she wasn't gaslighting. Uh, which that, to me, is a pretty good Easter story. Mm-hmm. When those who are on the outside uh, on the fringes can tell their story, and the church can say, It's not bullshit. Yeah. We believe it. Yep. Um yeah, that's good news. Amen.
0: Amen. Sarah Walker in the back. Thank you, Ben.
4: Yeah,
2: I know. I feel like that's what would make it better. Like a nerf ball. I don't know. I'm gonna try some different things. Um,
0: um Did we get that on the mic? <laughs>
2: Wait, what would you say? Nope. 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 <laughs> nope. I'm uh, I'm rewinding and I'm I'm like nope. Don't go there. Okay. <laughs> um, now you've distracted me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, I know. When I was going through like counseling, something that my counselor said really stuck with me because I like. I disciplined very differently than my parents did, like, I, it was always very fear-based, you know, in my house growing up, But I behaved a real good uh, at, by a certain age, and, um, you know, like, I have a different relationship to my kids, and I was like, but why? Why? If I have such a, like, a better relationship, why did they not act right? And she was like, well, like, you don't know what the process looks like to parent this way. Like, you don't have any expectation of what, like, their milestones are going to be. They're not going to hit the same milestones because you're doing it a different way. It's like a different journey. You can't, like, take a different method and expect that all the milestones are going to look the same. Hmm. And um, I think a lot about that with, especially with women and leadership in the church, because I think so often we have this vision that, like, if we get the right people in leadership or – If, like, Jesus' story is widely known, then that will change, like, the whole power structure. But it's not going to change the power structure. Like, the power structure, like, this big, overarching thing, like, um, it listens to the stories that prop itself up. Like, if we follow the way of power, it's just always going to listen to those stories. Um, The women had power in this story because they were not a threat, they were not a threat. And so they were able to, like, move in into places where the men could not go. Mm. And their story is never going to get told by a system dominated by men
3: mm.
2: because that's just not how it works. The, when we were on the mission field, the women, the, these single women who were, like, 60% of our missionaries, they were doing all the work, but their stories were not told. And, you know, I would like to get to a place where maybe all the stories are told, but then I just think, you know, if we got to a place where the women were the ones with the stories being told, we'd just be the ones in power, like, and we'd be back in the same system again. And I just think that, like, Jesus' story is in the small stories. Like, our community storyline, it's not necessarily about what we do up here. It's about Megan and the Peace Pantry and Jen, and it's about, like, what people are going through in their individual lives, like... Who we are are like our micro stories, like. But the world has fooled us into thinking that it's the macro story. It's the big story that counts, but mm. it is not. Mm. You know, like that was not the way that it was with Jesus, mm. and it's not the way that it is with us. Word. Ooh. Well, and I was just, I was just thinking as we were reading the story, how interesting it was. It's written in they, 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 and then it's in like, oh, here are those who are, here are the they. Uh, because, like, it doesn't say that mm-hmm. to begin with. And so, kind of in that same thing of like, no, I'm going to tell you the story. You're not gonna know who it is, and then at the end we're gonna say it was women when you when you can't say it's BS. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, like, yep. uh, so I, that was I was like because the, the very beginning I was like, oh, by the way, the story that we we're telling you about was told by women, so uh so it was interesting to me that it was read, that Luke wrote it that way. Yep. <laughs> at first I was like, is he not even gonna he say it? Sneak the women? up on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like,
0: just the women, by the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think it's just so beautiful and wonderful that, I mean, if, 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 if a historian is out to write the most credible account in, culturally, in, in, embedded in patriarchy, this, like Sarah's saying, this story doesn't get told. Um, cause it, it, it doesn't help, it hurts on some level. And how beautiful and subversive is it that this is the story, like that embedded into that, we have to tell the story this way. Because the women were the first to find out. They were the first ones to believe what they heard and saw. They didn't think it was BS. They got it. We have to listen to their story. We have to listen to their evangelism of us. I love it. I just love it. Storyline, you have preached a beautiful Easter sermon today. and <laughs> I'm grateful for all of you. Uh, how can we pray for our neighbors and our neighborhoods?